starting up with Virtue Zone on Dubai Eye 103.8. It is starting up with Virtue Zone. Neil Petch in the studio. Richard Dean in for Tom Urquhart this morning. Success Spotlight now. Mahmoud Batawi founded Undefied Hundred. It's a healthy food delivery firm and it was bought by Kitopi. He's with us in the studio to tell us a story. Mahmoud, ahlam wa sahlan. Hey, Adlafik. Thank you for having me at the studio. Uh, it's good to have you here. Thanks very much indeed. I have read the story before about how you started under 500. Full disclosure, I have been a customer of under 500 when I'm trying to be healthy. And I've read that it was bought by Kitopi. But I want to hear it in your own words now. Starting under 500, first of all, take us back to the date and the, the kitchen table story about why you decided to start this company. Um, thank you for having me at the studio. Um, you know, to me, uh, it all started actually with, um, you know, I had a father that was, uh, he passed away. And just about the time he passed away, I was working at the bank. And working at the bank, my father passing away, you know, it, it gave me a sense of purpose. I thought, what could I do to take my myself forward? How do I do, how do I start my side hustle that would actually... Um, you know, it's time to start. It's time to start. My dad just passed away. I feel bad. I want to take this to the next level. So I decided to uh, start my business venture. And I looked online. It said that 88% of businesses fail in the first two years. And then I thought, okay, how do I mitigate my risk? I want to do a healthy food brand. I have no experience. How do I start? I have a nine to five. So I only have a few hours. So what could I do as a business so I thought about franchising an existing healthy food brand. So I went running around to Subway. They rejected me. I went to another healthy food brand. I don't want to mention the name. They rejected me. They said, you have no experience. You're a banker. We're not going to give you our franchise. Go away. So I ended up settling for a non-healthy food brand called German Donor Kebab. I was actually their first franchisee. So I paid them some money, told them I would operate their brand in business pay. They had a branch in JLT. And I sort of ran that for a year until I sold it back to the franchisor at the break-even price. So I made no money on it, not even a dirham. Okay, so let, let's fast forward to starting under 500. Healthy meal business. Right. And I bought it online. I probably bought it through an app. I'm not sure. Maybe that was when you were still owning it. Yes. But they, you, now you're not a franchisee. You've got to build your own brand, build your own kitchens, develop your own menu, marketing, all of that stuff, operations. Exactly. So I learned, you know, pretty much the kitchen gig at the at the first uh, part. And then when I was a franchisee and I wanted to become a franchisor and develop a brand that I could take all over the Middle East. So I was uh, a healthy food. I used to go to the gym. I was always looking for healthy food and there were not enough options. I thought, how can I create a brand that would offer people uh, three meals a day and they would eventually lose weight? So. I ended up working with this branding guy who later became my co-founder, and we decided to actually, you know, jump in together into this venture. And we, which year was this? This was in, I think, end of 2015. Early. Two, two, so 2015. So when did you serve your first meal to a paying customer? Um, it was pretty probably six months after we decided to start, six to eight months after we decided to 2015, start. 2016. And when did you sell out to Katopi? We sold out to Kitopi about uh, five years later, five and a half years later. And how many meals were you doing a day, month, whatever metric you look at by then? Um, I think we had done about uh, 50 million dirhams worth until we sold it. So about $18 million. 
Okay, uh, that was that was the total cumulative right. turnover over that period. Right, and the average ticket's about 60 dirhams, so you could divide that and get the number of meals that we serve. Yeah, okay, fine, but it was a sizable operation. Right, in five countries. Okay, you were profitable when you sold that? You were, because you sold for a multiple of EBITDA. I read that you sold at eight times EBITDA. Exactly, that's correct. The last journalist who asked you, you wouldn't tell him how much you sold it for. No. <laughs> I'm going to ask you again. Okay. How, how much you sell it for? You can ask again. <laughs> Richard, how about this as an angle? You know what I like about this, Mahmoud, is, is this show, normally we're talking about the challenges and opportunities for startups. This is a first world problem. You had a pretty simple transaction. You sold for an, an, a multiple of eight. Congratulations. Thank you. You, ex, you, know, you, you left the business. You're not working for Katopi anymore, as you told Richard uh, off air. So it was a simple transaction because a lot of startups – that one of the biggest problems is chasing the money, spending too long chasing funding, spending all of your energy on that. And then another is you actually think you're going to exit and, you know, you're offered something which is a partial exit followed by something over the next couple of years. And so often those formulas unfortunately fall down. How did you go about let's, – let's let everyone fantasize that's listening now. You've all <laughs> built your business. You're about to sell, just like Donna Benton uh, when she comes on later. And you, how did you manage to keep it so simple? Um, that's a really interesting question. I think uh, – you know, I read a book by Stephen Covey. Uh, back at the bank, they, they got us Stephen Covey himself. And he said a book about, uh, you know, highly effective people. And one of the things he talks about is – starting with the end in mind. So when we started our first couple of locations, right away, me and my co-founders started thinking about who would buy us out if we got to the size we wanted to get to. Um, a couple of years later, we bump into you know a guy that said he had uh, a brand called Ketopi, and we, start, we, we discussed our cash out at least three and a half years before actual acquisition. So uh, if you want to know the secret about selling your company, it's to design your company for the person that wants to buy it from the get-go. I know it sounds a little daunting or challenging for a first-time business owner, but there is no two ways about it. You, you go find out who has the problem that you're trying to solve and how do you position for that person to actually uh, buy that from you. So Karim did the same thing. They understood Uber raised money in the U.S. We're coming this way. Uh, and they thought natural evolution. They would want to buy up the customers here. How about we group those customers together, you know, call it Karim with a name that resonates with the local uh, population in the Middle East and sell it, you know, as opposed. So if Uber has an option of buying a customer by setting up a company, if it would cost them $90, it costs them $85 per customer to just buy out all of Karim. So that's the value proposition always uh, for the person that's raising the money to come in. How many customers did Katopi think you had and they were getting when they bought your company? When, so just to go back a second, we helped Katopi get to where they are. You have to think about it like that. When you're a business that's positioning yourself for sale, then it's an honest conversation. One person says... You know, he says, I want to go to five countries in in three years. And I say, I've done a master's in international business. My dream is to have a business in five countries. How about we do it together? How about you take the turnover and you raise the money and give me a commission and then buy me out? Right? Because one of us is better at raising money. It's either him or me. So who raises the money buys the other person out? So you agree on that. So you're doing kitchens. I'm a brand on your kitchen. So then he thought, what if I got five people like you that would develop my kitchens all over the world and then I'll just buy your brands out? It's not, you know, 
it's it, it's just a way of thinking. If you I think, think one of the lessons there is is when you're when you're building your business is don't recruit someone who's exactly like you. Recruit someone with different skills. Exactly. Like in our business, we've grown everything organically. We haven't gone out and, and taken uh, funding. It's not our area of expertise. But if you do have someone who's really really good at that, they can grow in a completely different way. We've only got a couple of minutes left with you, Mahmoud. It sounds brilliant. 2015, 2016, start the business. Five years later, sell it out. You're up to 50 million dirhams of revenue. You knew what you were doing because you'd read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I'm guessing it wasn't that simple. I'm sure there were many (laughs) kinks in the road along the way. But just tell us about one, the biggest challenge when you thought, well, paraphrase what you thought, but, oh, dear, this is tricky. (laughs) Um, So I would say um, one of the big challenges we had, so we were, uh, you know, we were a two-man team uh, in terms of, uh, you know, it was me and my co-founder, uh, Emirati Muslim. He's an Egyptian Christian. And, you know, we, we never had, you know, we were doing really well together. Uh, the problem came when we actually decided to work with Kitopi. Kitopi asked for our recipes so that they could cook our uh, ingredients and our um, menu on their kitchens. And we had uh, a head of operations, uh, Steve Steve is a really good friend of me and my co-founder, and he decided to leave because we wanted to give our recipes to Kitopi. And to him, it was like, you know, you're going to give away my baby. These are my recipes. So he ended up leaving for a couple of months, and we were stuck trying to hire different people to fly all over the world and open kitchens uh, while Steve was not there, and it was his baby. So eventually, two months later, Steve decided to pass by. We had a, a talk together, and we ended up offering him some equity to join us as a co-founder in the company. So that kind of, uh, you know, really, you need to think about setting up your company with someone who's different than you. So your ops guy from the beginning, we did the other way around. We got into trouble, and then we gave shares to our uh, chef. I think a company needs to be built with people that have three different or two different core competencies of that project that you're trying to build. You need to be a bit different, but have similar values. What are you doing with your time now? You've not, you haven't gone back to the bank, have you? No, no. What about the family business? Because I also read in an interview with you that even though you're from a, a successful family, you paid your way through college, you had, you know, casual jobs, money never came easy to you. So what are you doing now? Uh, no. So what am I? So, you know, I grew up without the concept of pocket money to my father. You know, I had to earn everything I got. So every summer for me was, you know, different jobs at his company. And then at university, I did Showtime. I did HSBC, all the different jobs you could imagine through customer service and sales. So right now I'm at the stage where um, I advise a couple of startups, people that I find have true potential. I think uh, mentorship is something for me that comes, you know, I, I, I like talking to people. I like to see a change when I talk to someone and they come back with an answer. And that to me, you know, shows intelligence. Uh, second thing I do is, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of positioning myself for companies that are abroad that want to come to Dubai. But, you know, it's either I join them and do it with them. Uh, this consultant, like doing it like a consultant for me, you know, it, it's something I'm thinking about. What do I, who do I want to be? What do I want to do with my time? I enjoy spending time with people uh, that are motivated um, and building things together. So, well, well, stick around in the green room because our next guest is a psychologist and could probably Perfect. help you answer all of those questions. But for <laughs> now, we'll leave it there. Listen, I hope we speak again because it's a fascinating story and you've clearly learned an awful lot and you're happy to share it. So thanks for sh- uh, sharing it with us today. Shukran Jazeelan. Mahmoud Batawi, the founder of Under 500. Really appreciate your time today. 
Thank you for having me. You're listening to Starting Up with Virtue Zone. Neil Petch, the chairman, is here in the house today. Myself, Richard Dean, in for Tom Urquhart. This is Starting Up with Virtue Zone. Business set up with no regrets. On Dubai I 103.8. Welcome back to Starting Up with Virtue Zone. Myself, Richard Dean, in for Tom Urquhart. Neil Petch, chairman of Virtue Zone, is in the house. Neil, good to have you with us. Wonderful to be here. Mm. Weather's beautiful. Traffic is just more and more customers, Richard. We <laughs> keep telling ourselves that. This is it, isn't it? It's better than the alternative. Neil's still in awe at the fact that someone sold his company and they didn't make him stay on. <laughs> That's a rarity, isn't it? It certainly is. And it's, it's that quandary that uh, you all face because obviously when you're trying to sell your company, you want to be as appealing as possible. But if you're too appealing, then, then, then they're not going to... To, uh, buy you without you staying for another five years. So no more gang to the Caribbean and putting your feet up. Our next guest is going to answer, how do we juggle two different careers? And he does it very, very well. He is Miguel Angel Palania and he's with us in the studio. Miguel, hello. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for inviting me today and um, for having me here. It's good to have you here. So you have got two different jobs and they couldn't be more different. On the one hand, you're a professional circus performer and you put on circus acts around Dubai and beyond. Yes, but is. your other line of work is a psychologist and psychotherapist. We're going to get to the Venn diagram and the bit in the middle where those two worlds collide in a second. But first of all, let's talk about the circus performer bit of what you do. And you and some of your artists are performing this weekend down at JBR in Dubai. So you're out there, you're, you're doing this. Tell us about that business. How did you start as well, a circus performer? Well, I started to do circus. I started to go for circus uh, since I was 14 years old. Uh, after my school, because I wanted to be a psychologist, but I didn't have money to go to university, so I went to the circus, and then I realized that I have skills, and then everybody say, okay, you're good at that, and then I feel it was, it was actually good for me and very easy to, to learn, so I started by doing that. I believe that that was my best, my, the best profession I could take. And and just I, just I to clarify, that. you weren't a lion tamer, were you? What was your question off air, Neil? What was your <laughs> your core circus skill i'm imagining because you're you know you're, you're, you're a psychologist so you've got the chap with his head in the lion's mouth and you're saying how do you feel about that <laughs> yeah yeah it's true but, but you're an acrobat yes i am an acrobat i used to be now not so much because i'm i'm doing now two different careers so it's very hard for me to to do both at the time now now i'm just mostly directing and uh, doing the big the, the, the general things Okay, because you're in your early 40s now. And exactly. Acrobatting, if it's a verb, <laughs> is arguably a young man or woman's game. I still do some, but not so much. You do a bit, but not, but not so much. But you do this as a, as a, this is a business that you've got in Dubai. Yes. So tell us about where you came from, how you came to Dubai, and then how you set that up as a business. How did you get the business up and running? How did you get, what kind of licenses do you need for circus performer? I've set up a few companies. I've never seen that one, Neil. I don't think I'm one of your forms. <laughs> I'm Googling frantically in case you ask me. <laughs> and, and then how did you, how did you recruit the, the team that you have here? Okay. So as I said, uh, I started to do the circus since I was 14. And then I came to Dubai a few years later when I finished my 10 years um, uh, studies and circus and then I came here I started my business uh, with Virtuson and uh, right now I'm having 
13 years already with Victor Son. So, well, uh, and like seven years ago, I started to study the psychology because I really wanted to do that. So that Before was Before I don't have money, but now after I, I build some money, and say, then say, okay, let's do it. So, so you, you set up with Virtues on 13 years ago, the professional service, circus company. And the business model there is essentially companies pay you to put on an act. The fee is X. You hire a bunch of performers and you make a margin on that. Is, is it a service provision model? Exactly. Like that. So what kind of license do you have for that, if I can ask? We have a music and entertainment license. Ah, okay. Fine. And that works well? Yeah, that works well for now. Fine. But the side hustle was psychology, always a passion. You'd have liked to have studied it when you were younger, didn't have the money. But have, after a few years in Dubai, the circus business effectively had given you the money to study. So how did you do that? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, since I came here just to perform as a circus artist, and then I started to get clients. And then they say, OK, I need, the, I need more performance and this and that. And then one day I realized that I need to build my company because some some of the clients, the big clients, were asking me for license. So since then I, I, I got the license and I started to build in my business. What's the going rate for a circus performance? Uh, I've, I've got a company office party tomorrow. So if I wanted a, the, the entry-level circus performance, uh-huh. what's, the, what's the starting fee for a performance from, your, from a company like yours? Well, we normally charge 1500 per performer. Okay, that's dirhams. But, yeah, dirhams. Mm-hmm. And then we can negotiate according to the, the time and, and how many sets they want and what exactly. type of performer because we have like, different levels in the price. If you want 15 people in a pyramid on each other's shoulders, <laughs> then, then the price goes up. Now, I, exactly. I get it, but that's essentially, that's essentially the model. Okay, what's the business model? with psychology are you monetizing yet or is it a hobby yes i'm monetizing i'm starting to monetize it um, but mostly i work online i work online with many south american clients i have some clients in dubai as well but uh, mostly south american time so it means i have to work on that since, uh, after 6 p.m Fine. until 10 p.m and again mm. that's a service provision you provide a service they pay you yeah. Happy days, job yep. done. Neil, what, what's your thought on that when you see someone like Miguel with two careers? Do you think great diversity or do you think mm, lack of focus? I think that, uh, yeah, the danger definitely is, you know, you've, if, if you don't focus on something and you spread yourself too thinly, are you going to be able to do any of them? You, however, it, it's, it's come upon you so obviously that it's the exception that proves the rule what i do think richard is for your raw uh, year start party you can you can have the the pyramid and a little bit of psychoanalysis at the same time so it's value for money <laughs> that's exactly it, it, it good kills two birds with with one stone <laughs> but in, in all seriousness do you do, do the do you incorporate the two do you incorporate psychology into the circus performances and vice versa or are they completely separate not really uh, i incorporate as Neil said uh, we must need the focus and uh, to be present in the when mostly when we do circus because it's dangerous so we need to really be focused and and aware of everything so in that time we need the psychology just to be present because there's some techniques to help techniques uh, psychology technic- techniques that help us to be present so that everything we do are the here and now uh, will be like uh, really safe. I mean, safe as possible. Which and, you- and of course, as a, 
as a, in the theater, we need the psychologists to build the, the character, to build the, the behavior, the character, and, and all the drama. Yeah, I think what a lot of people don't realize, we've had a lot of sports people on, on this show, and the mental acuity, the, the, the need to be able to focus, is exactly the same. We had a, a, a golf professional on recently, and their mental coaches were the same as the people that are coaching the professional poker players, because they need to have the same degree of focus. Yeah. So I guess you have that there. Yeah, don't you? yeah, true. It's a fascinating journey and it is ongoing. Miguel, really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you very much Thank indeed. Thank you so much for having me. I've Thank got you, to let you get back to work because you've got a lot to do. Your day job is <laughs> the circus performer. on 13 years, Miguel, and thank you. Thank you so much. That is impressive. Miguel Angol Polanyak, he is a professional circus performer, a psychologist and a psychotherapist as well. You're listening to Starting Up With Virtue Zone. That's the voice of Neil Petch, the chairman of Virtue Zone. I'm Richard Dean in for Tom Urquhart. This is Starting Up with Virtue Zone. Business set up with no regrets. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Welcome back to Starting Up with Virtue Zone. Neil Petch is in the chair this morning. Neil, good to have you with us. Fantastic to be here and a friend of the show and the company with us as well. We've got Donna Benson, the CEO and founder of The Entertainer, with us in the studio. Donna, good morning. Thanks for being with us. Oh, I think it's good afternoon, Richard. Oh. We're used to saying good morning because of the business breakfast. Old habits die hard. <laughs> um, i tell you the reason we've asked you to come in here, and it's really good that you had, because last week I was chatting with Tom Urker, and I said, oh, who have you got on starting up this weekend, uh, this Thursday? And he said, oh, well, Neil's away. I said, oh, okay. I said, who knew you if Petch got on? He said, oh, Petch's not here. I said, all right. He's at Donna Benton's 50th. And I thought, <laughs> okay, that sounds wild. Um, and so I thought, and, then, and then, it, then it dropped that I was going to be hosting the show. So I thought, I've got to learn more about this. We're rebranding oh. it as Donna Benton's 30th. Oh, thank you, Neil. I'm, in, I'm embracing 50, clearly. <laughs> you have put it all over your social media, haven't you? You're being proud about this. But jo- all joking apart, Donna, it's a good opportunity to look back on the successes that you've enjoyed. If people are new in Dubai and they're listening to this, Donna founded a company called The Entertainer more than 20 years ago. It was a, a two-for-one voucher company that you sold for, well, at the time you told us, more than $100 million. Uh, that you then exited, and now you're back as CEO of that company. That's the quick version for those who are new to Dubai and, and don't know the name Donna Benton. So I thought today, we've got about 10 minutes with you, um, 50 years old, 50 pivotal moments that shaped your journey with the entertainer. Maybe not 50. Oh, 50. Goodness, I could probably reel off 50, actually. You probably could if we, if we had, a, if we had a little, enough time. But in all seriousness, what was the moment that, that kicked it all off? Was it, what, 20-odd years ago? Yeah, 20, 23 years ago, um, I founded The Entertainer. And look, I have a lot of amazing memories and moments, good and bad, in fairness. But some of my highlights would have to be, um, they're more old school, to be honest, like when I signed in my first merchant, which was the Marriott Indira. I signed 12,500 dirham with a gentleman, Jeff Strachan, which was more money than I actually came to Dubai with. So I was so excited and that really cemented that the idea would work. That was a really big one for me. Um, My first book, for those who weren't here, it was a book um, instead of an app. That was a huge highlight, the first book off the print. Then going digital was tough. You know, we're in 15 countries, over 10,000 merchants. So going digital was another highlight. Oh, another big highlight would be when I actually see people use the offers. I, I get such a buzz out of that. It's something myself and my team have created and I'm saving people money. So when they use the offers was another one. 
um, that all the people I've worked with, um, colleagues, merchants, corporates, and my two exits, obviously, are definitely up there as well. And because initially of, you sold 85% of the business. Am correct. I right? The first time I sold 50%. Okay. And then I retained 15% on the second. And then I sold the other 15% um, to be 100% out. And now I'm back again <laughs> as a shareholder and CEO. So when was the moment that you thought, okay, I'm, I'm sorted here. I'm loaded. I've made it. Oh, no, I've never thought like that. I've always worked. I started some other things and went into my swimwear company. But I'm, I don't really think like that, to be honest. I think, you know, you can be financial and you have to invest wisely, I believe. If you save, you'll always be able to spend. But if you spend, you'll never be able to save. So I was quite wise in my investments. I invested a lot in property. Um, every time I got a dividend or a bonus as I went along, and I, I've never really thought like that. I, I want security and comfort for myself and my children. But I, yeah, I need to be mentally stimulated, well, and I need to do something. Back some some real talent into the entertainer who were working for you previously. They've come back. They've decided to come back. That's quite difficult to do because these people have also succeeded and probably don't need to do it anymore. So one of the things about making a company work, obviously, is, is talent and motivating people and getting how, what, what's your secret with regards <laughs> to your staff as to how to get extremely successful? Let's call it the Bill Gates syndrome. How do you get a bunch of Microsoft employees who are all multimillionaires to actually be driven to do what they're doing? Look, I think the way you treat people is really important. You you have to treat them as a person firstly, not a number. And you it's about loyalty. You have to look after your staff. I always say people don't leave companies, they leave managers. And you, 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 it's really looking after them, them enjoying their work, rewarding where you can. And if if they do something well, give them credit for it. You don't take it because you're a team. And it's all about company culture, inspiration, motivation, leading by example. Don't ask someone to do something that you wouldn't do yourself. And, you know, just working really hard. So you've returned to the entertainer now. You, you sold out 100% a few years ago and that was it. And it was bought by investors in the Gulf and you were doing other things. You mentioned your swimwear line, hospitality businesses, beauty salons and, and various other investments. And then a few months ago, we got the news that you were back as the CEO of The Entertainer. Again, for people who are listening for the first time, why did that happen? Why did they need you back? And what have you done differently in your five months? Yeah, look, um, I always say I had a five-year five gap year from Entertainer. But look... Um, the, we were on a break. We were on a break. <laughs> I was doing other things. Look, the other CEOs, I'll just say, you know, they had a different vision than, than I did. And... The vision was going in a different direction. So the shareholders then um, came and approached me, the chairman actually, and yeah, you just to really come back and to get it back to where it was. And, and I think that we've done that. In five months, myself and my team have worked really, really hard. We've changed the app. We've bought back all the core offers as two for one. We've signed on at least another 200 merchants that were, I call them ABC merchants, um, What's an ABC merchant? You know, um, an A merchant, for example, would be Motion Gate, where they okay. get a lot of football, f- football, football, Wild Waddy, all, all the 
branches, the money value ones. So people are saving millions out there. You know, again, 10,000 merchants. Now we're in nine countries. We have a robust B2B as well as B2C business. And, you know, it's just keeping it simple. We'll always have competition and that's fine. And we just stick in our own lane and do what we do best, which is only buy one, get one free, the strongest deal in the market. So in terms of those moments we were talking about over the 20-odd year journey of The Entertainer, and there have been a few twists in the road, there have been some great moments. The first deal, 12,000 dirhams, selling out once, twice, well, three times arguably, and then, well. ret- <laughs> and, and then returning. What was the, the, the lowest point? Oh, look, there's been a lot of challenging points, I would say. Um, I'm quite a positive person, so I wouldn't say low points. I would say more challenging. Um, a few of them would be when I first bought my shareholders out when I very started, first started, and I was literally left with 3,000 dirham in the bank. And I'd realised what I've done. I'm like, wow, I only have 3,000 dirham. I've got to pay staff. My back was against the wall. Like, you really have to... Um, you know, chase money where you're owed. You work, you know, really hard. So that was a scary moment for me, I suppose, because I never wanted to be in debt. Entertainer was never in debt. Um, No overdrafts, no loans. So that was one. And look, another scary, scary moment was when all the competition came. All the daily deal sites, Golf News started a product. In Qatar, there was another one. They, you know, copy your ideas. So you really have to stay ahead of the game. Again, stick in your own lane. But, you know, there's always the thought in your mind that what ifs. But you just have to, um, as they say, you have to work like you're number two to stay number one. So, Neil, you watch The Entertainer grow. You've seen many success stories in Dubai. What do you think makes this one stand out? Well, I've got to tell you, you're talking about bad moments. My worst moment is 23 years ago when Donna came <laughs> into the Time Out offices and said, I've got this idea. It's called The Entertainer and Smiley Faces. And I'm going to, it's my story, so I'm going to say that I liked it, took it to my fellow owner of the company, and he said it'll never work. So that's my, <laughs> that's my worst moment. A few <laughs> people actually said that, don't worry. <laughs> but I, I think that, uh, I mean, I've, I've witnessed it, and I'm, I am going to say it's, it's people skills in, in, in this case. Donna combines being exceptionally driven with really, really liked, and those two things very rarely go together. So uh, I have absolutely no doubt that we're going to see some some new developments coming out of this one. And Donna, I wanted to ask actually because there are within my office there quick are people question, that live quick and answer because it. producer Zena is telling us we've got to go for a break. Quick yeah, one, ask, oh Zena. I'm going to just how are you going to expand it to other demographics, to the sort of Gaia, Zuma, LPM demographics? I always say people that go to those places don't really use vouchers. <laughs> um, but we do have a premium dining section okay. that, that, that we are in. Obviously, the likes of those outlets that are super busy and queues, I get they don't need that business, yeah. but there's 95% of I'm restaurants just that for do. Richard, you understand? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Richard's on it. I was at a posh <laughs> Chinese restaurant last night. Um, I won't say where it was. Was that Mark 32? No, it wasn't. <laughs> but it does have an M in the title. Uh, we were there early dinner for my wife's birthday with our kids. We were the only people in the place. Oh, Ah. You have to yeah. tell me off air who they are. Fair, if, yeah. I, think, I think they need you more than you need them. All right, I'll put Don, them on the list. Donna Benton, CEO and founder of The Entertainer. It's been great talking to you. Thanks very much indeed for your time. Thank you so much for having me. It is starting up with Virtue Zone. Neil Petch is sticking around. He is the chairman. He's answering your questions next. You're 
listening to Starting Up with Virtue Zone. Business setup with no regrets. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Welcome back. It is starting up with Virtue Zone. Richard Dean in for Tom Urquhart. Neil Petch, Chairman of Virtue Zone, with us in the studio. Neil, good to have you with us. Can we jump straight into the messages we've got yet? We haven't got a huge amount of Go time. You particularly like this one from Max, don't you? Have you got it in front of you, or shall I read it out? No, you read it out. Okay. Max says this just set up a company in a free zone. Easy. But now, bank account seems almost impossible. I either need a huge bank balance or years of company records. Okay, so there's, there's a sales opportunity for me there. There are, there are millions of company formation companies out there, and a lot of them, their business model is they help you set up and then they never speak to you again. So they don't really mind if you don't get a bank account. So just as, as some of our guests were saying today, get the foundations right, have all the documents in, in, in place and deal with someone because obviously there's no point in having a company license if you can't have a phone that works and a bank account that works to send and, and, and receive money. So there are some brilliant banking solutions out there. It has always been a, a problem, but the WEOs and Mashrik Neos of, of, of this world, the, the new sort of digital generation of banks are making it much much, much easier. And so we, for example, uh, are fully integrated with a couple of those banks. So once you've filled out the documents for us, you don't have to fill it out again. It's so annoying, isn't it, that you have to fill out your, your passport number a thousand uh, times. So we, we have a banking department that is specific for that gentleman to try and help on board. And because tax is coming and because now we're having to audit our companies, which all of us pull our hair out about that when we first see it, but actually it means that you've got the things in place that enable you, A, to get your bank account quickly and then B, be able to borrow money more easily. So these digital banks, only a minute left on this, and we hear the adverts on the radio, we see the billboards on Shakeside Road and some of them have got very big, well, they have got very big backers. There's always a bit of the sceptic that thinks, that's just glossy marketing but there's no real substance behind it. But you think there is substance no, behind it? No, I think, and, and, you know, I, I would say there are stages. There's a whole raft of banks, obviously, and different banks have different purposes. But what I would always encourage people who are starting up to, to do is, is just get an account. And that account might not have a checkbook. It might not have a credit card to start with. It might be very limited. But get started and then start to, to build up. Don't weigh yourself down with ridiculous costs. You don't need the extreme thing. You don't need a great big, huge office. And you don't need a bank account that offers you 46 different things. You need an account. You need a business address. You need a phone number. Get those things. Start operating. And then things will move along. Neil, it's been great for catching up with you. An hour has flown past, but thanks for being with us today. Thanks for bossing me, Richard. <laughs> Tom Urquhart, Normal Service, will be resumed next Thursday on Starting Up. And don't forget, if you've missed anything, you can catch up on the podcast on our website, dubai1038.com, or wherever you get your podcast.